If you have a Bible uh, with you this morning, open with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We'll start in verse 8. Uh, as many of you know, there's Bibles back there for you if you need them. Uh, pull it up on your phone. Maybe you have a Bible. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to just jump right in. It says, then Peter, so this is after um, Jesus' crucifixion, after Jesus' resurrection, after his ascent to the Father. Peter, who had already denied Christ, who had rejected him, who had, uh, who had hid away from those who associated him with Jesus, he's now delivering this sermon. And it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, they had just healed a crippled man, by what means uh, this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you as well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but he has become the cornerstone. And he says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God, we thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you that your mercy is new every morning. And God, we thank you that you speak to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing the series, as I said earlier, we are continuing a series, uh, six, seven, eight week series called Struggling to Believe. And during the series, uh, the goal is to address some of the most common objections to the Christian faith. And not only objections to the Christian faith, but also objections to any exclusivist faith whatsoever. And, and we'll do that specifically this morning. We started our series off, if you were with us, we started our series off uh, with a two-part sermon uh, last week and week before last, asking the question, can we trust the Bible? Is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible trustworthy? And so if you didn't hear those uh, sermons, I encourage you to go back, listen to them online. You can pull them up on iTunes or the website, wherever you listen to podcasts. Because we're really building an argument here. We're, we're starting with the scriptures. And if we can settle the issue of the scriptures, if we can show you that they are not, they are not legend, they're not myth, that the scriptures are not lies, they have not been lost in translation, that they are trustworthy, and that they confront you with this story of this man Jesus and how you, how you deal with Jesus, how you encounter Jesus, what you make of Jesus, is really what settles this issue. And it settles this issue today. And so last week we addressed the question, can we trust the Bible? This week we're going to address the question, how can there only be one way to God? That's a good question, right? One of the most common objections to the Christian faith. How can there be only one way to God? And there's a few uh, common objections. And I'm going to have them on the screen here. There's four common objections. Um, number one, that, that all religions are equally valid. There can't be just one way to God. All religions are equally valid valid. Now the, the other side of that is number two, that all religions are equally invalid. So no one has an exclusive claim on truth. Thirdly, we see that this, this objection to exclusivism is that it is, by definition, arrogant uh, and even dangerous. And we'll talk about that. 
And then from there, if it's arrogant and dangerous, then uh, people look at that idea of there being only one way to God, and especially the Christian message of Jesus being the only path to God as ultimately cruel. And so we'll address those points kind of one by one. So let's, let's jump into number one. This objections, all religions are equally valid. There is a, a growing sentiment, and we all know this, there is a growing sentiment, um, especially in the developed West, which, which essentially prioritizes the individual and individual expression above almost everything else, which is not the way uh, the rest of the world is, but uniquely in the West, in our modern culture, that we prioritize what individuals want and how individuals want to express themselves above almost everything else. And so any, any declaration of truth, any declaration of objective truth, uh, especially as it relates uh, to anything that has not been or cannot be empirically proven, anything with uh, the spiritual world, for example, that in our culture, those truth claims of things that are, are not or cannot be empirically proven, they are dismissed as intolerant, uh, and in many cases, extremist. There was an article um, recently in Time Magazine uh, by a very uh, well-known political columnist, and he wrote, um, shockingly, he associated the belief that, that any one religion could be superior to any other religion. He associated that belief with the belief that, um, any, that, that one race could be superior to another race. So that's, that's where we're going, that any, any claim of objective truth is met with such suspicion, is met with such uh, resistance, and even met with such disgust, even to the point of labeling a belief in one true God or one true religion, that that, that kind of statement is as bigoted as racism. One writer, Terry Johnson, a pastor, professor, he says, in the, in the contemporary intellectual cultural climate, there is no ability to distinguish good from bad. There's no ability to distinguish truth from error, even important from the unimportant. All such distinctions are seen as being contrary to the chief virtue in today's world, that of openness or tolerance. Our, our culture does not have the stomach for exclusive truth claims. And so the most common objection to the Christian faith, one of the most common objections, as well as to other faiths which also claim exclusivity, is that uh, all religions are, are just equally valid. We're all really just saying the same thing in different ways. No one religion can claim exclusivity. And that statement that all religions are equally valid, it has, a, it has the appearance of humility doesn't it? It has the appearance of humility, um, and yet examined with any depth, it quickly betrays its own arrogance, the own arrogance of a statement like that. And really, few people, if any people, when really pressed, would agree that all paths are equal. If you're pressed almost at all, you'll realize, well, not all paths, Right? That we're not really all just saying the same thing in different ways. I'll have this quote behind me again from Terry Johnson. He wrote this, The ancient Canaanites sincerely believed that the way to appease the gods was to offer up their infant sons to them in a fiery sacrifice. Are we ready to agree? Equally valid? 
The ancient Aztecs offered up teenage girls as sacrifices. As many as 10,000 had their hearts carved out in a single day in order to satisfy the demands of their gods. The most avid relativists, the, the people who are saying all religions are equally valid, are perhaps ready to make some concessions. Some religions are more true than others. We, we can't have it both ways, right? You, you can't make the claim, you can't honestly make the claim all religions are equally valid and then dismiss these out of hand. Now, some of you may concede um, that not all religions, especially ancient religions, are equally valid, but that the major religions of the world today, the major religions of the world today, they are equally valid. Again, we're just saying the same thing in different ways. You may have heard the illustration or the story um, that there's many paths to the top of the mountain. And that's a, that's a kind of illustration to say that there's many ways to God, that each of us are kind of going up our path on whichever side of the mountain, but we're all going to reach the destination at the end. There are many paths to God. And in that sense, the argument is no one can claim exclusivity. And yet the person, you see, the person qualified um, to say there are many paths up the same mountain would have to be someone who objectively sees the whole mountain, right? It in itself is an exclusivist claim. It would exclude all of us, in fact, because none of us can see the whole mountain. It's not fair for us to make that sort of claim. And of course, many of the, it's so disrespectful to all of the major religions of the world, all of which claim exclusivity. When you, when you think about um, the, the major world religions of, of Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism and many others, they claim exclusivity. Islam and Judaism are exclusivist to polytheists and even to monotheists like Christians who are professing faith in Father, Son, and Spirit. Buddhism is exclusivist and that those who do not accept the teachings of Buddha, teachings like the Eightfold Path and so on, that they cannot reach enlightenment. They are doomed to repeat a cycle of suffering through endless reincarnation. These religions, you can't speak for religion and say, we're all really just saying the same thing. We absolutely aren't. We absolutely are not saying the same thing. And each of us are making our own exclusivist, exclusivist claims. Hinduism, too, is exclusive. Uh, one writer, Ravi Zacharias, who many of you have heard of, uh, he says, Hinduism, for example, is often represented as the most tolerant and most accepting of other faiths, and yet this is just simply not true. All Hindus believe in two fundamental and uncompromising doctrines, the law of karma and the belief in reincarnation, and these will not be surrendered. In fact, Buddhism specifically was born out of a rejection of those two, uh, of two other very dogmatic claims of Hinduism. Buddha rejected the authority of the, of the Vedas, which are the oldest Hindu scriptures, and he rejected the caste system of Hinduism. The issue is not who is right and who is wrong. The truth is that we are systemically different. We are saying very different things, both all of these religions claiming to be right. We can't all be right. We're saying different things. A, a Muslim would never tell you that it doesn't matter what you believe, that we're all just saying the same thing. All religions cannot be equally valid. In his book, Reason for God, Tim Keller says, ironically, this insistence that doctrine does not matter is really a doctrine itself. 
It's its own religious claim. It holds a specific view of God, which is touted as superior and more enlightened than the other beliefs of the most major world religions. And so the proponents of this view that all religions are equally valid, the person does the same thing they themselves forbid. They are making their own exclusivist claim. So in other words, to say that all religions are equally valid is, is terribly and disrespectfully invalid. It is itself its own religious faith claim and exclusivist claim. So the other side of that coin, all religions are equally valid. The, another objection, really saying the same thing in a different way, is that all religions are equally invalid. No one, no one has a corner on the truth, right? No one religious group uh, has the exclusive claim on truth. There's another story and illustration. I think we've used it before. There's an illustration of, of a group of blind men who are, are told that an elephant is coming to town. And they've never heard of an elephant before. They, didn't, they don't know what an elephant is. They are all blind men. And so they want to encounter this thing called an elephant. And so they go and... Um, begin to touch this elephant in different parts of the body. And so one, one man touches the elephant's leg and he says, I understand elephant. An elephant is like a tree. Another blind man touches the elephant's tail and he says, I know what an elephant's like. It's like a snake. Or one touches the tusk and he says, an elephant is like a spear. Or one touches his side and says, an elephant is like a wall. They're, they're essentially all equally invalid, Right? They don't have a sense of, of what they're experiencing. They didn't have a full handle on what they were touching, like all religions. Now, this story is used to illustrate that each of us experience God in different ways, that each of us are only getting a, an incomplete piece of the puzzle. And so no one can make an exclusive claim that only one way is the right way. <clears throat> and yet again... As with the illustration of the mountain, the irony of a claim like this, that all of us experience only an incomplete part of God, is also itself a very exclusivist claim and a very arrogant one. Because to make a statement like all of us are just experiencing different parts of this same God, we, none of us have a corner on the truth, this would take the objective position that they themselves can see the whole elephant. That they have that exclusivist view themselves. It's just not fair. These arguments just don't stand up. The objections that either all religions are equally valid or all religions are equally invalid cannot reasonably stand. Now what about this argument? Here's the third point. What about this argument that, that exclusivist claims to say there's only one way, that that is arrogant and, and even dangerous? And as we've said, Christianity like other major world religions, is exclusive. It does make exclusivist claims. Jesus says in John 14, I think I have this on the screen, he says this so clearly, there's no room for interpretation. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul would use very similar language in 1 Timothy 2, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for us. 
So he purchased this, this right to connect man with God. He bridged that gap for us. And it says very clearly, he claims himself that he is the only way. Jesus claims authority. Jesus claims uh, sovereignty. Jesus claims deity. And I'm going on about this because many object that they say, well, Jesus didn't really say that. Jesus was just a good teacher. He was a good prophet. He was a sage. He was a wise man. He was a man pointing to God, but he was only a man pointing to God, one of many throughout the centuries. And that's just not true. Jesus was a man who claimed to be God himself, who claimed to be the only way to God, who claimed to be the only mediator between God and men. He is unquestionably exclusive. And the objection here is that a claim of exclusivity is itself arrogant um, and even dangerous. One writer, many of you have probably heard of, Sam Harris, who's a a noted uh, atheist uh, and writer, he, he wrote this, we have a choice, I don't have this on the screen, I have another one I'll show you in a minute. We have a choice, we have two options as human beings. We have a choice between conversation and war. That's it. Conversation and violence and faith he says, is a conversation stopper. So, so any thinking person, and, and to a certain degree, right, to a certain degree, any thinking person, any honest person, would have to agree to a point. That exclusivist claims can absolutely be arrogant and can absolutely be dangerous. And we've seen this throughout history, right? It, it, exclusive claims, including the exclusive claims of Christ and the exclusive claims of Christianity, they can lead and unfortunately have led to arrogance and violence. That's just a sad reality. Consider the Inquisition, consider the Crusades, consider the use of the Bible to defend racial and ethnic slavery, consider colonialism or Islamic jihad, consider Westboro Baptist Church. These are groups that because of their exclusivist exclusivist claims, they have exercised violence and arrogance and oppression on those with whom they disagree. There was an article a few months ago uh, from the World Economic Forum. It says religious violence is undergoing a revival. The past decade has witnessed a sharp increase in violent sectarian and religious tension. These range from Islamic, Islamic extremists um, waging global jihad, power struggles between the Sunni and Shia Muslim in the Middle East, the persecution in Myanmar, outbreaks of violence between Christians and Muslims across Africa. According to Pew Research, uh, last year in 2018, more than a quarter of the world's country, about uh, 27%, more than a quarter of the world's population experienced high incidence of hostility motivated by religious hatred. That's a lot. And this is the argument of many atheists, that, that, that we shouldn't make exclusivist claims. Christianity shouldn't make exclusivist claims. No religion should make exclusivist claims because it is arrogant and it is dangerous. Sam Harris goes on to say, and I think I do have this on the screen, it's taboo in our society to criticize a person's religious faith. These taboos are offensive, uh, deeply unreasonable, but worse than that, they are getting people killed. This is really my concern. My concern is that our religions, the diversity of our religious doctrine is going to get us killed. I'm worrying that our religious discourse, our religious beliefs, specifically the exclusivist religious beliefs, are ultimately incompatible with civilization. So this is a major objection to Christianity. And again, to other exclusivist world religions, that you just, how dare you? 
It's so arrogant. And it, it produces such division among people groups and among countries and governments. Religious exclusivist claims can produce arrogance. They can produce violence. And yet certainly, there's sort of a, just an ignorance of the whole other half of this. Certainly secular, non-religious, atheistic worldviews can also produce arrogance. Can also produce violence. Have in fact produced arrogance and violence of world. And, and those worldviews make their own exclusivist claims, Right? They are claiming, for example, that there is no God or that there is no one way to God or that even to say there is, is offensive and yet they themselves are making their exclusivist claim. And any truth, any truth that we could say, any truth that we could speak is itself an exclusivist claim. If, if, if we say that this medicine can cure this disease, this medicine cannot cure this disease, that is an exclusivist truth claim. If you say that it is, it is illegal to practice law in Texas without a law degree, that's an exclusivist claim. That's not arrogance. It's accuracy. That is the way it is. One writer says, everyone has a view of spiritual reality. Everyone has a view of spiritual reality. Even if you deny a spiritual reality, you are taking a view of spiritual reality that is exclusive. Irreligion is exclusive too. Everyone is basing their lives on truth claims that are fundamentals for themselves. Even people who say nobody has the truth, even they are making a truth claim. You cannot avoid truth claims. One of my buddies, Jonathan Dotson, who's a... Who's a uh, pastor in Austin, um, he wrote an article that said, embracing Christianity doesn't necessarily make people arrogant. Embracing Christianity doesn't, it can. It sadly can. Embracing Christianity doesn't necessarily make people arrogant. It makes them authentic. That they are willing to stand by what they've discovered to be true. Insisting on what is true doesn't automatically make you arrogant. There are both humble and arrogant ways to insist that Jesus' claim that he is the only way to God is true. After all, it is Jesus who said, and, and Jesus was quintessentially humble, especially if he is who he says he is. But by contrast, religious pluralism that says you cannot make exclusivist claims insists that its way, that all ways lead to God or no ways lead to God is true while all other claims are false. Religious intolerance is not okay. Religious exclusivism is okay. You've asked the hard questions, right? You've asked the hard questions. You've done the research. You've, you've come to your own conclusions. You've had your own experiences. And you interact with opposing views with grace and humility and, and, and with confidence that you believe what you believe. You confess what you believe. And so stating a truth claim is not necessarily arrogant. It can also be authentic. Another argument is that Christianity or any way, any religion that claims there's only one way to God, it's just simply cruel. It's cruel. 
why, why would God allow only one way to himself? Isn't, isn't he more loving than that? Isn't he more, uh, more creative than that? Isn't he more merciful than that? Can't he think of, of all kinds of different ways to get to him? Why, why would the path be so narrow? It's cruel. What kind of cruel God would make only one path? Where's the justice? It's a, this is a common objection. And I want you to, I want you to hear me, church. I, I understand this line of thinking. And I understand that it gets to our hearts and our emotions um, because many of us have, have all kinds of friends, very honorable men and women who are, who are sincere and who are, um, who are loving and who are uh, moral, exceedingly moral, Muslims or Buddhists or Jews, right? And so for us to think that there's only one way to God, we, we sort of go, well, that, what, what about all these? But I want you to consider this, church. I want you to consider this. If Jesus is who he says he is, all right? And we talked about that last week. If Jesus is who he says he is, Christianity is the least cruel and the most inclusive of all religions. Let me, let me say that again. If, I want you to consider this, church. If, if Jesus is who he says he is, then Christianity is the least cruel and the most inclusive of all other religions. One writer put it this way, Christian believers are not accepted by God because of their moral performance or their wisdom or their virtue, but because of Christ's work on their behalf. Most religions and philosophies of life assume that one's spiritual status depends on their religious attainments, their own achievements. And this naturally adheres, uh, this naturally leads adherents to feel superior to those who don't believe the same as they do or don't behave the same as they do. And yet the Christian gospel should preclude any such attitude. The story of the Christian scriptures from beginning to end is a story of God making us pursuing us, forgiving us, saving us, in spite of our idolatry, in spite of our, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sin, in spite of our anger. God is rushing to us. The, the gospel is, in contrast to every other major world religion, the gospel is, and I'll have some verses here on the screen, the gospel is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The gospel is the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The gospel is God showed his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He wasn't waiting for us to get our act together. He wasn't waiting for us to just sort it all out. He wasn't waiting for us to, to clean up our lives while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our sin, while we couldn't ever make our way to him. He made his way to us. All the other major world religions, they, they provide paths to God. They provide paths to heaven. They provide paths to enlightenment or to nirvana or to freedom or whatever. They offer a path to that thing. But that's not what Christianity does. Buddhism offers its eightfold path. Uh, 
Islam says embrace these five pillars. Judaism says adhere to these moral codes. But the, scripture, the, the Christian scriptures, they don't provide a path. They offer up a person. They say here, consider this man. Consider this man who is, who is God making his way to you. This is not a path for you to make your way to God. This is a story of God making his way to you. And none of us deserve it. You see how inclusive that is? Do you see how gracious that is? How kind that is? One article I read this week said the question we should be asking, and I've wondered this myself, this in, in some ways was the question that turned my mind on this issue uh, when I was a relatively young man. The question that we should be asking is not why is there only one path to God? The question we should be asking is, why is there a path at all? Why is there? I don't know about you, but I know myself. I know the corruption in my heart. I know the sin in my heart. I know my story. I know what goes on in my head. I know, I know my behavior. I know my doubts. I know my weak faith. I know me. It's not that, God, why aren't there all these other ways? I think, thank God there's a way at all. That's the real question. Jesus has for, and essentially he answers that question in the Gospels. Why would there be a way? Because he loves this world so much. He loves you so much. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, he gave his only son Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's Jesus if Jesus is who he says he is, then there's only one way to God. If Jesus is who he says he is, then there's only one way to God. But it's not, it's not just a path to follow, it's a person to worship. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. In him and him alone. As Brandy and I were talking this week through this idea, you know, and we were talking about uh, some of the stories in the Gospels as people inter encounter and interact with Jesus. When you think about the story of, of Nicodemus, when you think about the story of, of doubting Thomas, when you think about the story of the woman uh, by the well or the woman caught in adultery, the, the only appropriate response when you encounter Jesus is, is worship. My Lord and my God, there's an there's a overwhelming humility there because of his grace because of his mercy, because of his tenderness, because of his humanity, because of how he treats us so decently. When you see men and women encounter Jesus, what you don't see is them thinking, once they see his grace, once they see his love and tenderness, they're not thinking, is this the only path? What other way is there for me? What other way might there be? Jesus says, come to me. You are weary. You are weary. We are weary from trying to make our own way. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. 